What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades, and I'm joined by my co-host, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. It's Matt Moore. Matt, it's great to see your smiling face again. <laughs> it's good to be here. I'm glad to be alongside for the ride. Lots of NBA news. Just like a lot. This is a. I was not expecting this much NBA news uh, at this point of time. Even with the, with the expectation of things kind of moving along. Um, I was caught yeah. off guard by how much happened today. Yeah, it was kind of like a surprising news. Um, news October surprise. October surprise. Um, so we're going to get to that. There was, of course, Daryl Morey has joined the Philadelphia 76ers. The, um, you know, the Salt Lake, uh, the Salt Lake, the Utah Jazz have, have been sold. I didn't even know they were up for sale. They've been sold. So um, we're going to start our show by kind of talking about these things. And I guess let's start in Salt Lake. The, here's the headline to me. There's a bunch of headlines here, but the headline to me is that the uh, Utah Jazz sold for 1.6 billion with a B dollars <laughs> during a pandemic and amid an enormous amount of uncertainty with the NBA. I mean, ratings are down. Um, we don't know when this next season's going to start or who's going to play or what's going to happen. Doesn't seem to hurt valuations for a flyover. And I'm not saying this. To be mean, Denver's a flyover too, but I'm saying it's not a prestige organization. The Utah Jazz, they still sell for 1.6 billion. Is that the headline to you, Matt? Um, I think that the the headline is probably that the NBA is still a good bet, which is a good reminder yeah. that today's episode is sponsored by oh, SportsBetting.com. New players get a welcome bonus, 100% risk free week of sports betting up to $500. Visit SportsBetting.com backslash Locked On Nuggets today. So the new owner is somebody that's been that's worked with the family for a long time. Yeah. Um. To me, the the bigger thing about this is not so much the money because the money was going to be the money no matter what. It's based off of the TV deal, the franchises, live sporting events still drive so much right. viewership. Right. Even like fewer ratings is still it's one of the few things that drives people's attention. It's a destination viewing of experience etc so i'm not surprised at the price tag on the jazz that one and it's also it's like a solid organization you get the arena with it right, with right, the, right. bought the arena um right. you get all the property you get the the parking everything so parking there's a lot was, that goes the parking was included wow i didn't think that would be included okay it does yeah so he gets whatever <laughs> spot he wants but you, you get to make all the money off the parking is the big right, key there. right sure um but part of that also is is what to me the big story is that this is a changing we are seeing a changing of the guard in NBA ownership. And this is going to have major ramifications moving forward Mm -hmm. when we start talking about CBA talks, because the Miller family was part of a group of old, older owners that had been in the league dating back decades that what we call the modern league, which is the eighties. Cause I think they bought, I can't remember what I saw it earlier, 88 or 82. I can't remember, but it's, it's it's eighties. So they've been, they've been around for a while. So what we've seen in the last couple of years is we've seen the Jazz get sold. We've seen the Rockets get sold. That was, um, you know, Les Alexander was a great owner for many, 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 many years. Uh, You're seeing Glenn Taylor of the Wolves. He is in the process of selling the team. And there are questions about the Holt family in San Antonio. There are questions Mm -hmm about guys like Robert Sarver. Um, you obviously have seen changes in other, like Steve Ballmer is now the owner of the Clippers. You're right. seeing more of the Ballmer types, the tech industry funded, sure. like yeah. uh, some of the venture capitalists, like the yeah. Harris family with, with or Her- Josh Harris with right. the Sixers. And this is all going to change things in particular because in the last 
CBA negotiations in 2011, there was substantial reporting. And if you ask around that, this is kind of what you heard the same, that the new ownership was the one pushing for a lot stricter policies. They wanted mm. things like the hard cap. They wanted to take back the BRI. They wanted to really draw more money out of the deal for themselves. The old ownership, because the old ownership was like, no, like our business is basketball and like we need to play basketball. And a lot of it was also like, well, my dad made like made a lot of money in real estate and bought this team. Right, um, right, right. And we, we win championships. Like, it is the, the old 70s game. story. Definitely. Like he just really loved mm -hmm. basketball and yeah. Yeah. Right. And so what we're seeing now is a transition away from that. And that's going to mean even further discussions going forward about that are going to be more disruptive and a more adversarial tone. Mm. Uh, Adam Silver in 2011 was the, was the bad cop. David Stern was a good cop. Adam Silver was the bad cop in that, in that negotiation. Sure. Um, and so he has the, he has the loyalty of a lot of these guys, hmm. but that's going to be interesting to watch going forward is, is if he, continues to take that approach or if he does wind up taking a more trying to negotiate and be a go-between between the owners and the players rather than an agent for the owners this is all part of this negotiation now ryan smith may may follow through with the millers right like we don't know right um big saying a lot of the, the the right things um right. seems to really be about it i mean he's right. not just somebody coming in to buy a team he is buying the utah jazz Right. And I think also I will say this though, you need to give it time because we when Tillman Fertita first bought the team, everyone was like, Oh, this shouldn't be a big deal. Like he's been around a while. <laughs> That's so true. And now like literally everyone is like yeah. Is Tillman Fertitta the second worst owner in sports or right. in the NBA? Like that's a discussion being had right now, which is amazing. Right. I think Utah's such an interesting market because the Jazz, as much as any team, I would say. There's other teams on the same level, but I think the Jazz, as much as any team, are a part of the culture and the fabric of the city. I mean, they are the yes. only sports team other than the soccer team, but they're the major, the major, the four major sports. And you know, everybody is a Utah, everybody in Utah is a Utah Jazz fan, so it's, it's such a big part of it um, that I do feel like this is kind of a big, uh, you know, a, a big deal. But I didn't know they were up for sale, and and the Millers also, I think, had endeared themselves to the, you know, to Salt Lake City, so. I, I was kind of surprised. This, this caught me off guard. I don't know if I'm just out of the loop on this. Yeah, I, I had heard, um, and I don't know if there was a report on it or not. There had been some signals that the Miller family, as they had transitioned from into ownership of the the younger of the kids, that they were looking at at moving various pieces of like the empire. I think probably that the pandemic probably shifted a little bit of this conversation and gave them a little bit of a windfall. That's probably part of the discussion. Um, but there had been kind of some signs that the Miller family was ready to move on. Uh, I was, was ready to go ahead and move. I wasn't, I wasn't caught off guard and was like, <gasps> was like, you know, if Steve, yeah. if Steve Ballmer, if Jeannie, if Jeannie bus sells tomorrow, I'll be stunned. If um, Steve Ballmer needs to sell, man, I'm if, telling you, if, if the Dodgers if, winning this one, man, I just, I, I he's yeah. got to be faced with the fact, Hey man, I'm never going to make it here. Can't, can't win here. Um, James Dolan actually would be the one I'd be most surprised at because yeah, yeah. I feel like you have to pry that one from his uh, zombie fingers eventually. So, yeah, and that's where there's I'm a new at. owner. There's so much. It just seems so. I mean, the Utah Jazz obviously have been a great organization for many years. Um, you never won the championship, but have always been competitive, had a lot of good teams, great fan base. So you're always curious to see what happens there. Another big change in the NBA that we can touch on quickly here before we take a break. Daryl Morey of analytics fame has now joined the trust the process whatever's left of the zombie trust the process 76ers 
And here's my, I'll give you my first thought, and then you can tell me the correct take, Matt. But my first thought when I saw this, you know, it's weird that they hired Doc Rivers before bringing in a president of basketball operations. Generally, that that's the reverse order. You hire somebody in there to kind of create the, the vision that they want. But Daryl Morey's a smart guy. And the 76ers, too, have two, what I consider to be two supremely talented players. I had kind of left them for dead. I thought, okay, their window, not that their window had closed, but just that they clearly seemed like they were on a downturn. And I trust Daryl Morey to bring life back to that organization, whether it's with Embiid and Simmons or without. And so to me, it's intriguing because that's another team that I look at and go, okay, probably going to be competent. I think there's a bunch of positions and things to look at with this. It's why the ringer joked about like the take ocalypse um, earlier today, because, you know, from a basketball perspective, I think it's likely that Maury will do well because Maury will look one thing that is really just Twitter's got to think about this stuff a little bit more. If you pay attention, here's the thing. Uh, Daryl Morey is not going to look at this and go, Ben Simmons can't shoot. He's going to go. That's not what he does. Daryl Morey looks for the market inefficiency. That's what he's drawn to. In the 2000s through the mid-2000s, the market inefficiency was three-pointers. Right, nobody right. was shooting yep. enough threes. And so yep. starting with Rio Grande Valley, his right. D-League team, he had them try it out first to be like, what happens if you just don't take any mid-range shots? <laughs> right, right. If yeah. you just take the – and it was like, the results are really good. Um, but then if you notice, like in 2017, they were a pick and roll heavy team. And then when they went to 2018, that's when he looked at it and went, the market inefficiency is isolation. We have two right. players that are the best isolation players in the league. Right. Why are we even bothering with a ball screen? Why are we right. even worrying about a switch? Like just ISO. Right. And so he, he took advantage of that. And I think that with the Philadelphia, he'll probably look for the same kind of thing. And yep. there's a lot of ways that can go. Um, transition seems to be a market inefficiency. That's one of the reasons the Lakers yeah. won the title is that few right. teams are as good in transition. Um, but you could say the post-ups are, are the market inefficiency because there's only really two players in the league that are efficient enough to carry an, uh, an a modern efficient offense at 110 or greater with post-play, and it's Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, and that's Joel Embiid as long as he doesn't get double-teamed. Right. So um, that that's an interesting question. The other, I will tell you though, like my big thing with this, Adam, is I have trepidation and my trepidation comes from this. They told Elton Brand, you're the guy. Yeah. We're elevating you. Brett Brown's gone. We're clearing out everybody else. You're going to have more power in the organization. This is your team. Right. Brand says things like, we need fewer, we need more basketball, <laughs> which is very. He just, this. he just said this too. This isn't an yes, old quote. Just said this, <laughs> which is code for, we need to get these nerds up get on out of here, here and get some hoopers in the building. Real hoopers know. Real yeah. hoopers know. Uh, um, and so he hires Doc Rivers, who literally just came <laughs> from the Clippers who the Clippers listen, were yeah. like, hey, so listen, I know that we don't always have to listen to analytics, but Trez got outscored by like 15 <laughs> points whenever he was on the floor. Could we maybe have done something about that? And Doc said, nah, you got to trust me. And the Clippers right. said, well, we don't because the numbers are what they are. Right, and Doc right. was like, well, we should just go. So the Clippers then hired Doc. Now, Daryl and Doc go back to Boston. So I'm not necessarily worried about that. But now you have a coach hired by a GM 
and now a president of basketball operations inserted around them. And then there's Jerry Colangelo somewhere in this. And then we know still that there's people, there's members of the front office that are still involved. There's a lot of moving parts here that this could make for a messy situation. But the number one takeaway I think I have is everyone that thought that Daryl Moore was never going to work in this industry again because of the China thing was moronic because very few people <laughs> have right. his there reputation so levels here. I hadn't even thought about this one, but you're right. Okay. Yeah. And it shows you if you want it like ownership, I think went about this the wrong way where they should have been like, let's wait and see. And then we'll make some decisions. But what they definitely did was they went, Oh, doc rivers is the best coach in the market. Let's go get him. Oh, Daryl Morey is the best right. GM available in the market. Let's go get him. And then on the other high, uh, on the other side, you have Tillman Fertitta that has now watched Mike D'Antoni <laughs> and Daryl Morey walk out the door. You folks, I think Houston is heading the other direction. I guess those two just didn't shut up and listen the way he wanted them to. Um, let's take a break. On the other side, the reason we bring these up, one, because they're pertinent to Denver. We're going to talk about maybe some of the ways they are. But you talk about sort of a weird mixture of ingredients. I think one of the things that have worked for the Nuggets over the last five years is a cohesive mixture of ingredients. We can talk a little bit about that and just about ownership in general and what we – maybe we haven't really ever done this together, Matt. Assess the Cronkies as owners as present. Um, but let's take a break. We'll talk about that on the other side. Yeah, and before we do that, it's funny you mentioned the ingredients. You know what's a great ingredient, Adam, is 100% chocolate, which you can find mm. in Bilt Bar. Uh, Bilt Bar, <laughs> I was even say delicious. And cream. Yes, uh, cookies and cream. 60 flavors like, like cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, and apple almond crisp, along with 12 original flavors like coconut almond raspberry and double chocolate. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They're great if you're trying to be health conscious. You can lose or maintain weight while enjoying a delicious little treat for yourself. How about the Cherry Barcia with 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and just four grams of net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. We'll be right back on LOCKEDON. Back here on the Locked On Nuggets podcast, Adam Mott is joined by Matt Moore. And so, Matt, let's talk about ownership. We've never really done this. I'm kind of curious your takes because the Cronkies have now owned the Nuggets for a couple decades. And let me just put this out there. There are some things with the Cronkies that I think are really, really, really frustrating. One, they're in a bit they're unwillingness or seeming unwillingness to spend on things that might be considered frivolous, but I think that work the margins. They make like 1% difference. And to me, as a fan, I'd like to see them do that. Things, for example, like a parking garage for athletes, which is recent. They just put this one in, but I always <laughs> laugh when I think back to a very distinct memory I have of Jameer Nelson telling Malik Beasley to go scrape snow off of his windows and me just thinking like, yeah, nobody wants to come here because that's that just seems like a thing a millionaire superstar does not want to have happen. Um, but you know, practice facilities, um, having their team on television, things like that, you know, things that you spend on that build a fan base. But there's another part of it that goes, the Nuggets have only had, in my, my estimation, four golden eras. And two of those have come under the stewardship of the Cronkies over the last 11, 12 years. So they've had some success. How much do they get credit for that? I mean, what, what's your, <laughs> I can see you're kind of uneasy, even, you know, you're kind of shifting in your chair. What, what do you take of that, and what, where do you want to go with this conversation on the Cronkies? Well, like I like the take because I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, I think also, whenever they, when, every time we talk about Nuggets history, 
just being perfectly honest, <laughs> it's it's always like, hey, this is like the best thing in Nuggets history. And then like you just realize like, boy, this franchise has not had a good run. Yeah, um, has a, just it was has a low bar, had, but they have sort of cleared that bar. They so. have they they have set the standards uh, of which are very low. I think my big look. This has been my personal experience. Um, I have great trepidation whenever I think Stan is involved in discussions and i have great confidence whenever i hear that josh is involved it's interesting um josh seems very sharp he seems very active he seems very uh engaged in building an organization he seems very up on keeping track of what the the things that he needs to know are um he pays attention to key elements of emerging technology and emerging trends and like what's going on in the league and strategies and I think that Stan Kroenke most times is looking for, again, we go back to kind of like the 1970s approach and like, how do you make money? It's like, well, you squeeze the margins, you get right, the money right, out right. on the edges. Um, Conley, Stan I definitely think comes off, even though he's silent Stan, he doesn't give you a lot of the personality, but you do kind of get the feel of the billionaire who still like clips coupons on a Sunday. Yeah. And I just think that he's, if I ask, if I think of the question, like, like if I, and this is like an outside perspective, cause I don't know them well. Right. Like I've talked to Josh, like a handful. Of that, that's by design, by the way, Stan has yes. purposefully kept, like he doesn't do interviews. He's not the owner. He is. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm bringing him up. Cause he has nothing uh, to do with the organization. Well, cause he's the patriarch of the Kroenke right. empire. He's the patriarch of the, of the Kroenke empire. Um, technically, 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 Anne is the owner right. of, of the team and Josh is the president. Um, I think, when I think about the conversations, it seems like if there was a failure, it would be more like Josh being like, well, what do we need to do to get better? Like, where does this need to go from here? Where do you think our failures were? Um, and with Stan, I always kind of imagine being like, what exactly did I pay for this? Why, why did I pay for this? Right, like, why right, why right. exactly did this cost so much money? Um, Connelly, Tim Connolly is actually a really interesting example of like the chicken and the egg concept with their success. So you can say like, right. Here, here, I'll give you two versions of reality for you to evaluate, listener. Here's one. The Cronkies were so in-depth in their research that they singled out a longtime scout and assistant GM and knew <laughs> that he had the chops to take over an organization yeah. and lead them in another direction. Yeah. He was the kind of mind that could see through things yep. and build the right organization and brought the right people with them. They knew it the whole way. A lot of Here's people option. would have gone with the fancy retread, but no, right? they went to the miners. Yep. They did their scouting. Yeah. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. They brought in a real basketball person, real hoopers. No, Tim yeah. Conley. <laughs> uh, option two. Tim Conley is a longtime scout that was going to come at a real discounted price. And for a long time, he was one of the lowest cost GMs in the league. That's no longer the case, of course, because he's got right. multiple raises right. and multiple extensions. But he also like Tim is not a, like Tim doesn't have an agent. Tim yeah. just like Tim is grateful for the job and he's been grateful for the support that he's gotten from Josh Kroenke. There is never, I will say this in my time in Denver since the end of, since the end of the Ujiri Carl regime, which was short lived and I was only around for, for the last year of, I have never heard complaints about ownership except from like the very extended margins and only about very specific small right. things. Right. Right. But there is also, I think an understanding of like, this is how the, the company operates. Like this is how KSE runs things and you're going to have to do it. I do think also that some things that might've been spent on the nuggets, like there's been talk for years of a new practice facility, 
where Elitch is. Like there's been talk for years of that. And one of the reasons I don't think it's ever come to fruition is because Stan had to spend so much money. The Cronkies, KSE had to spend so much money in the NFL transition, getting right, the Rams to Los right. Angeles, building an arena, and then having all of that happen simultaneously. And then, ah, and then COVID happens. And so right. I don't know when that's going to occur. Um, but yeah, like this is a, this is not an organization that is like, we go the full way on everything. It's a, we're a professional organization, professional sports team. And they've been willing to pay for players in the past. They are not a team that you're like, they're never, ever, 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 ever going to spend in the tax. That's not how they are. They're willing to pay for players. It's been everything else. That's always been kind of the, the issue with them. And you see this is Houston where they're going to have a huge, probably luxury tax unless they completely blow up the team, which I wouldn't be surprised at, but where Fertitta really has peeled off the money. You saw him today. He hired a longtime assistant in his first, in his first gig. Yeah. In silence. So it's like, like there's very clearly efforts to get the money down there. I think Silas will do well. He's everyone raves about him, right? But it's the question is whether or not you believe that spending big to get the best personnel matters. And right. I think it's easy to argue it doesn't because the Lakers won the title. <laughs> well, they, they yeah, the Lakers are a different example. Lakers are a completely different example. I do think there's something too though owners you can see what they value and how they want to their organization to be perceived Lacob is an example of this i know it's an annoying yeah. one but he's sort of a spare no expense owner right yep. everything has to be top of the line he wants everything right. to be that he thinks he's the smartest guy he's monetizing it in all these annoying ways and of course he has san francisco and silicon valley behind him it's a different industry here than denver but I don't know that I get that sense from the Cronkies. And I think they're kind of on the hot seat here in the in this one way that they have a team that I think as much as ever they people feel has an opportunity to do something and grow into something special. I'd love to see them as owners seem to care about that as much as we do. And by one of the ways that you do that is you make sure that you have access to all of the people in your city. I mean, this is I, for me, the television situation here, and they were put in a bad spot. Look, the world changed from underneath their feet in a lot of ways. But to me, you always have to go back to the core of who is this for? Who do I own this thing for? Is it for me to make my money and to do this? That's part of it. It's all business is part of that. But I liked some of the quotes that came out. Again, Ryan Harris, it's easy to win. Or Ryan Smith, it's easy to win the press conference on your first day as an owner. But I like some of the things he talked about in, in just his view that a team like this is sort of a public good. We will continue to use this platform to do good was one of his like key phrases from his press conference today. And that's kind of one of the disconnects I have with the Cronkies. Now, when you talk about Josh, there's another area I want to go with this, which is, and this is where it ties into Doc Rivers and the 76ers and Daryl Morey. I don't know that those three are naturally going to have a lot of great synergy because it feels like there's three different people with three different ideas, Brand, Morey, and now, and now Doc Rivers. I feel like Tim Conley, Michael Malone, and Josh Kroenke have been pretty aligned. And to what degrees they have not been aligned, it has not interfered with their ability to sort of come up with a cohesive plan and stick to it year after year. And that has paid off. It's the defining trait of this Denver Nuggets, the we don't skip Denver, steps Denver Nuggets, that have sort of not had those cracks come through, at least publicly, and they've stuck to what appears to be a long-term plan that is paying off. I think that's one of the best things an owner can do. Get out of the cockpit. You got to go up there maybe once a year and check on him and see what's going on. But you can't be there telling him when to turn left, when to turn right, turn the blinker on, and all those things. 
Josh, I know has been involved. Like he's in the draft room. Right. He's involved in all these things. Like he's there, but he also doesn't, the one thing that he doesn't do is he doesn't go to the media and then be like, well, this is a problem. And I'm going to, you know, this, that, and right, the other, right. like, do you know what I'm paying and all these kind of things? Um, I do think that there's a nice combination of personalities. So mm. I think one way that this has worked out is that Tim Conley is humble and is always just like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe this worked. I can't believe I was a good GM. Um, the the humility is a big deal. There are there are executives that know how smart they are. Yeah. And it's very much there's a competitive aspect to that. And I like I think Daryl falls in that. I think Daryl, like he wants to be good and he wants to be really good at his job. Like yeah. and, he, and he strives to be different, I think, in a lot of ways. I think Tim Conley is just like, nope, just happy to be here. Just yeah. glad to be able to go to work every day. Let you know, want to spend time with my family. Like he's, and he also, he's always had really good perspective on, um, I'll just say that Tim's always to been to me. He's always had really good perspective on the transitionary nature of this job that yeah, yeah, basketball yeah. jobs don't stick around forever. Um, so that I think is good because it makes him very low key, which contrasts with Malone, who's very high key <laughs> yeah, yeah. and is very much like edge. Like we got to compete. We need to try yeah, and win yeah, as yeah. much as we can. I think maybe the biggest source of frustration is, and it's, but here's a good thing is like, Malone couldn't be as constantly worried about his job as he has been because he's so scarred from the Sacramento experience. Like, yeah. I really cannot, like, I don't think we overstate that. I think it's better now than it, yeah. I think it gets better every year, but I think that he is just constantly worried after the Sacramento experience, which again, bad ownership. Really um, bad. And not even that, that wasn't even necessarily Vivek. It's that they have a lot of minority ownership and all that. Like there's a, there's a lot of cooks in the Sacramento kitchen. Um, but this is the thing is like, is I think it would be a lot harder if you had Daryl, you know, a GM trying to show how good he is and being very much like, I will do whatever it takes to get this team a win. Uh, I don't care about relationships. Like, yes, the coach is good. He has my support versus like Tim who's like, he's my guy. Like yeah. he's my guy. He's going to do great. It's going to be a, like, I think that that dynamic is really important. And you, I think it works really well. Do you think the Cronkies and we're, I'm, jo we're putting Josh in a lot of this cause he's president and he just seems the most hands-on. Do you, do you feel like the next couple of years are sort of big for him and how you'll evaluate him? I think so. I think this summer is a good one, but uh, part of it is like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to evaluate them given what's going on. Not like, just the summer. I'm not even talking just the summer in this team. It's just, there are some bills that I feel like have come due and look this altitude situation. But, I'm sorry for me. That is one of the bills that is on the desk saying, guys, you cannot build a successful fan base when you don't have access um, to your product. So, okay. The only thing I'll say is uh, I will say this on the, um, we look at it in terms of what the team owes the fans because and you say like the fans are the ones that provide all the, uh, the um, revenue. And I agree with that. Like I, I believe in the basketball social contract that there's an right. ecosystem yep. Yep. of course, and yep. that everybody owes stuff to everybody else. And there's trespasses and all that. Like the fans right. are sometimes terrible to the players right. and the players are sometimes terrible to the coaches and the coaches are sometimes terrible to the owners and the owners. It's right. all over the place, right? There's, there's breaches constantly, but ideally there is an ecosystem, but I will say this. One of the big problems is that the owners, we think of the owners as competing with one another for the championship. Right. In my experience, the owners look at it as we are competing for the championship and the money. Right. That I want to be able to, to win the title and make more money than you do. And there is a large amount of frustration from 
every team in the league that is not one of the big six-ish, New York, Chicago, LA, Miami, et cetera, that those teams are able to have middling teams and make hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you have an extremely successful Western Conference finals team, you are not able to generate as much. And that causes them to do things like, I have to get the best TV deal. I have to get this, that, and the other. But even then, owning KSC is in many ways, like not KSC, but owning Altitude is in many ways, like it's a direct ob objective to be like, you save costs because you're like, it's my company. I don't have to pay anybody else. It's my company. Like I run it. Yeah, but again, that's, but again, to me, that the, there's so many businesses you can do that to. And look, the Cronkies, yeah. I think, on average, have made almost $60 million per year in, in just the appreciation of their Denver Nuggets asset and Pepsi Center asset, excuse me, Ball Arena asset. But <laughs> so, but I do think that, look, there's other businesses you can do where you solely care about the profit. I think that pro sports, there's a limited number of them. And it is, in my opinion, so important to the fabric of, of a city that you do owe a little bit extra there. And plus, by the way, a city does so much building arenas, doing so many different things for you that you owe that. Let's take a break, though. We have to get out of this segment. Maybe we'll have more conversations about this because I actually think it's really fascinating. And I personally, under the impression that the Cronkies are, I think, in the middle somewhere. That, in, in my experience, they've been somewhere in the middle. They're not the worst owners in sports. They're not the best owners in sports. They do have a great opportunity to become even better. I'm curious to see if they'll pursue it. But let's take a break. On the other side, let's wrap up briefly by talking about the latest from Michelle Roberts and the NBA Players Association. And in short, they say, no thank you to December 22nd uh, start. We'll see what that means on the other side of this break. Would you like to bet on when the season's going to start, Adam? Would you like if to make I a bet? If I were to me? bet, I know where I would go. Yeah, you could go to sportsbetting.com. Sportsbetting.com is now live and taking action in Colorado. Sportsbetting.com is passionate about sports and they're the authority on sports betting. They've got their own in-house bookmakers. That's <sighs> a big, big deal. Uh, even everything, like if you want to bet the Thursday night game, one team you're going to get better juice on than the other with the line having dipped to two and a half. I have been watching that game like a hawk. I like the Panthers quite a bit in that game. Uh, Sportsbank.com is known for, for getting you the best odds and the lowest juice, and that means the best prices for you. New players get a welcome bonus, a 100% risk-free week of sports betting up to $500. Sportsbank.com offers no hassle bonuses, but just a one-time playthrough. Take advantage of their NFL touchdown and first touchdown scores. Get your action on at the home of sports betting. That's sportsbetting.com backslash Locked on Nuggets. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. Back here on Locked on Nuggets, joined by my co-host Matt Moore here, Thursday edition of the Locked on Nuggets podcast. All right, so the big news today, or one of the other big news is today, and the one that's most, I would say, urgent to the Denver Nuggets in their season was that the Players Association not so excited about this winter solstice start. I guess they don't enjoy the solstice as much as I do, Matt. This is comes as quite a surprise to me, but they pushing back pretty strong. And I thought two or three days ago, it felt like there was an enormous amount of momentum going towards the you know the Christmas start. Let's get this. We just have to rip off the Band-Aid. The players will get on board. There's all this money. Today, I feel like there's a lot more momentum for a MLK Day start, meaning the end of, January, not the end of December. What's the sense that you get now with these latest developments? Boy, there is some public negotiating going on. Just a whole <laughs> lot of public negotiating. Um, look, I, I think the biggest takeaway from all this is that the players union is going to try and buy 
the, there's been a transition with the players union from how it was under uh, Billy Hunter, uh, which was badly run. Uh, and in some ways very sketchily run. Yeah. Corrupt. To now um, Hunter, the players always felt made too many allowances and kind of cowed to the power structure. Um, the players are going to push as far as they can to get what they want because they recognize that ownership does the same. So ownership is going to want all as much money as they can get. Um, and for the players to play as many games so they can get all right. They want everything on there. Well, the owners don't have to play. I mean, it's very, and the same right. with us. Like it's very easy for me to be like, they just need to do this and play. And yeah, yeah there's a lot of back-to-backs, yeah. but I'm not the one playing. Right. Uh, the players are going to buy for, to try and get all of the money and not as many games on a different schedule. Uh, and that's just, I think it's going to be, they're, they're going to probably have to find a compromise in the middle of it. Like I've wondered, like, are we just going to split the difference and say January 1st? Is that just like, Doesn't is that, that feel where like we're a headed? lose, lose rather than a win, win or a compromise? It just feels, I mean, they want to yep. get to the 22nd because then you get Christmas and Christmas is such a big day. Everybody gets with their family and they watch. And, and if you're basically launching the season on Christmas, it's even bigger because there's even more excitement. And then the you biggest... recoup all of that and you don't go into the Olympics. So I don't understand that that compromise feels like a lose, lose to me. To me, the biggest thing that the, this is my opinion, the biggest thing that I think that they need to do, and I haven't seen the numbers, they probably have data that shows that this is a bad idea. The biggest thing I think that they need to do is I think that they need to, they have to do 72 because they have to get the, that's the minimum for the, for the money for the TV. The biggest thing is just be like, all right, we're going to go up against the Olympics. The guys aren't going to play in the, like, do you think any players <laughs> playing in the Olympics? Like, do you yeah. think any players? Get, I do. Really? Yeah, I do. I mean, especially the foreign-born players. I, I mean, I think you're right that maybe Team USA might have a hard yeah, time. Yeah, Team. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Team USA. Team USA. So oh. let's, let's let's focus it there. Team USA. I don't think is is going to. And Team USA has had diminishing levels of interest for the last several years. Yeah, like, you might get like Carl Anthony Towns. You know, he might he might end up having a long break, a short season, and another long break. He might. I could see guys like him. <laughs> Thanks for, for driving the dagger at a poor cat there. <laughs> um, but no, I just think that I, I think that in this year with COVID, they're going to be like, I'm not going to expose myself to more risk. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm right, not, right. I'm not COVID going to, I'm not going, I'm not going to a community like with dorms. Right. I'm not doing, I'm not doing this. Like, this is not going to happen. Right. Like the Olympic village. There's been some epic stories of the parties that have got on there, but yeah. this might be a year that people are like, you know, I don't know. I don't know about the, and so, the and so that's And so I just think that they need to be like, look, we'll, we'll do overlap with the Olympics. It's not ideal, but it gets us back on track. Right. Um, I don't blame the, the players. I think a lot of this is just like, what I here's what I really don't know is like the 72 games is like, we got to do this for the money. I I do wonder this. I do wonder if the players have made so much, like the player salaries are so much higher than they used to be. Like 8 million in 2008 yeah. was a lot of dough. Right. Right. And right. now it's like, eh, good role player, bench player. Right. Makes right 8 million right. a year. Yeah. Like 12 is a good starting number. 20 is like you're a high caliber starter. Yeah. 35 million is star player money. Like that's incomprehensible 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and the reason I bring this up is I do wonder if the players, because everybody's like, well, don't you want the money? Like that's the thing I hear a lot is like, well, don't you, if you want the money. And I also wonder right. if the players are like, look, man, I made 35 million last year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need it. 
Well, like, here's the here's the thing I think about on that front, man, is that the players um the players association represents a very wide gr group of people. The yeah. the haves and the haves nots, but not only that, do you think Steph Curry would like to start on December 21st? Part of me thinks why not? I mean, he's been off for so long. I mean, some of these teams that haven't played since March, they're mm -hmm. looking at it and going, "Well, I'm rested. What do I need another month or two for?" Like, "No, I'm good to go." Then you got players like LeBron James, for example, who's probably saying, "Hey, I haven't had any rest. This is a nightmare for me." I can't imagine it's being presented right now through the report on the Athletic through Sham Sharania that this is like a very unified front and the players are behind it. It's too soon. But I look at it and I go, "Man, a lot of these dudes have gone through the longest offseason of their lives." I don't know that it's as unified. It doesn't make sense to me that it would be as unified as they're presenting it. I mean, do 300 people ever agree on anything? No, of course not. So we saw what happened with the bubble, right? Where there was the big, there was the Kyrie Irving, Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley meeting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sure enough, like the games went on because ultimately the money is going to drive the conversation. I think that's probably going to be what winds up deciding yeah. is too many users can be like, yeah, no, nah, I want the extra 10 mil or whatever. Um, I, and I think like, look, LeBron does drive that enough of that conversation. Chris Paul drives enough of that conversation. And Chris Paul is very much in the idea of like, I think Chris Paul is also aware of like, if we go down the road of starting all out war with ownership, the long-term effects are going to be really big. Like maybe I, I'll, I'll also say this, I, this is what I genuinely believe. We haven't even started to really feel the, the economic impacts in the NBA or in this country. We just haven't felt them yet. And right. when they start reverberating, people are going to be looking around and being like, Oh no, the jig's up. And so right. if you're of that mindset, you're like, we got to get our money. Now you gotta get yeah. as much money as you can right now. Like if the cap is the same right now, do it before yeah. the owners are like, we got to lock you out because we lost like two, we lost like a half, we lost $4 billion and we right. are locking you out until we can get a deal that recoups our losses. Like there are bad times ahead. And so I think that that's part of it. But I do think that ultimately if we're talking about, the reason I'll just say this, I don't want it December 22nd. And I expressed this to you last <laughs> you're time. So, like you're always so weird with these takes to me. Okay. I just no, it's just look, I want basketball. I miss basketball. Yeah. I do. I I I loved those first two weeks of the bubble when everybody was rested and there was no travel, and you got the best effort from everybody every night. Those games were awesome, they were highly competitive. It wasn't this war of attrition, it was excellent. What we're talking about here is like a worn down, like this season. Yeah, the season's going to be tough, but it's going to be it's tough no matter when they start it. Though that, that to me, that's the thing is you're not saving it by pushing it back a little bit. I really don't think that it's just going to become ugly in the back end instead of the front end. Um, meaning, just later in the year, I don't. I don't think you're saving it. Go ahead. I will say also this one last thing. Um, there is a significant. I heard just. I checked on this again. There's a significant group of ownership that still feels like if we can get to March, we can have fans. Like that's there is there there is a there is a belief of from them yeah. that the third fourth fifth whatever wave we're in now will have subsided that the vaccine will have had time to get through the population enough and that they will at least be able to do something that is able to recoup some of the gate versus like if you start it in December based on our trajectories right now it's gonna be bad you can't have you can't have anybody in there right. I, I've look, I think that is just inevitable. No matter which way this breaks, we could talk ourselves into the fantasy of like, oh, yeah, we push it back a couple weeks and everything's, but it's just, not, I don't think it is. Um, but I do feel like, you know, the people that want that the most, LeBron James, 
probably going to have the loudest voice and be able to do that. One other update that came from that meeting today, we had had this soft deadline of the 31st, which would be this Friday. It's sort of like, hey, we've got to have things figured out by then. Michelle Roberts came out and said, don't expect that. Not going to happen. So we thought we might have some clarity about all these dates and deadlines and when things are happening. doesn't look like it. The other thing that has come out, by the way, and we should mention this, um, the league might reveal the schedule in two parts. They might have schedule first half, reveal that, and then not work on the second half until it arrives. You might know who you're going to play in the second half. Okay, these you're going to play this many division games, this many, whatever. But we might not actually have that schedule. They want to fill, they want to be flexible. Because again, Matt, they can't see around the corner. Nobody can. And so I think this idea of push it to March, play it in January, I think they're just like, we don't know. So maybe we play some of the schedule now and reevaluate halfway through. All of that goes to show you that a lot of moving parts to this. <laughs> Nothing is solved, and it probably is going to be at least another week or two before we get more clarity on it. Um, that's going to do it for today's show, though, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, some good shows throughout this week, including Sam Vecini on the show last night. Got into some real deep dive draft stuff. Matt and I haven't done a whole lot of draft stuff just yet, but Sam Vecini, he's a draft pro. Our, our good pal, and he was great on the show. So you might, if you missed that one, might want to go back and check it out. Matt, anything before we get out of here? Nope. Thanks for rate, for following us uh, on Twitter at Locked On Nuggets. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Have have a good one. We'll see you next time.